Welcome to Highly Educated, the podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Sherman. Joining us this evening is a very talented man, a jeweler, a local goldsmith, who's now living in Colorado, doing big things and creating sick art. And uh, we brought him on to talk about all things. And uh, so without further ado, Nate Fife. So we're here with Nathaniel Fife, otherwise known as Nate. Um, and we were just talking about how Nathaniel's a colonial name, very good colonial name. You know, like grab your musket and your rifle and Back to powder horns, baby. Powder horns. Go to war. Welcome, Nate. It's happening. Yeah, we had to have Nate on here to talk about a lot of things, but in, more importantly, talk about the goldsmith life and, and what it is to be a goldsmith and work with precious metals all day long. What that feels like. Nate is uh, calling in here to Highly Educated, the podcast from Denver, Colorado, um, otherwise known as the Mile High wow. City. And Damn uh, right. We're bringing Nate on to talk about his business, which is Freedmine Fabrications. That is Freed, F-R-E-E-D, Mind, M-I-N-D, Fabrications. I'm not spelling that out. You figure it out. Uh, makes incredible jewelry. Uh, makes incredible pieces of art for people. Kind of want to chat on that, but we'll start with the roots. We'll start with the roots of, you know, kind of who you are and where, where you're from. So we'll start locally here. Oh, you know, Hampton's living. No, um, I, I grew up in Wainscott, which is like a much smaller, I, I mean, in my eyes, the lesser known little hamlet of the, Hampton's area, I guess you could say. And, uh, yeah, it kind of provided a crazy foundation for everything that else, everything else that came in my life. Like growing up in Wayne Scott and going to the one room schoolhouse out there as a kid and stuff. Yeah, what was, what was that like? It was a trip growing up and, you know, getting into life by just going to school with like 10 people was a trip. Like I thought that was just like a regular thing. Yeah, it, that was. And then when you went, really. what grade do you advance to? Like a real school? Is it sixth grade or something? No, no, no. So like you started like you're in like a regular kindergarten for like the whole East Hampton Township, and then you go back down to like the, the one room shit, first through third. You're with like literally ten people for the whole span of those three grades, Not like ten person per grade. It's like you're in two-person, three-person per grade type shit. That's so cool. Starting off there, it was cool because, like, you're a little, you're a young kid and you're just, like, introduced to, you're thrown right in the mix with all the older kids, even though, like, whatever, they're, like, two years, you know. You get a lot of different perspective. six years old and you got eight, eight-year-olds around you and you're, like, cool, like, fuck yeah, like, it's tight. Yeah, you get all this different but perspective. You you're you're thrown in with, with everybody else. It's, like, uh you know, general population. <laughs> yeah, straight gen pop. And so what brought on the art? Where, what brought on the creative side of, of who you are and, and how that expanded? How, how, what brought that on? I think, I honestly think that was something that was just instilled by the area where we're from. Like the Eastern end of Long Island is such an art-rich community that from a young age, it was always just like an option. Like, learning 
how to paint, how to draw, all that kind of shit was just like a readily available thing. It opens a lot of doors and I wasn't ever one to really stray in. Like I wasn't big on sports and all that kind of shit, but I, I would just rather sit there, sit out in the field and draw a bunch of landscapes and just like vibe on nature rather than anything else. So it was always a really um, open it was really open. Like you could really make it whatever you wanted. There wasn't, it wasn't like, uh, you weren't like pigeonholed into any which way, you know? Right. You had a, a, a spot think, to be creative. Yeah. I think that, that openness and stuff just led it to be like, you really make it what you want to. It, it just comes to the territory of being out there. And that's like one of the, it's, I mean, that's just such a beautiful thing. That's what drove and, Hold a lot of all these, you know, impressionists and like all these other artists from the city and like, you know, the earlier few decades and like the 60s, 70s, whatever the fuck, you know, like that's what pulled a lot of people out there. It's because you could be a couple hours from New York City, but you're immersed in all this like diverse wildlife and scenery and all that kind of stuff. And you can interpret it and manipulate it into so many different ways from more than just like painting and drawing. It's like, architecture just all kinds of different design and stuff and then i just somehow like ended up i started painting and drawing and now i make fucking jewelry so i (laughs) so when when did it cross over i mean did you you went to school for art after after school you went to school for art or you just you just created well growing up and stuff i was like not one to like i said i didn't really do sports and shit like i would much more, I was like, I was like, yeah, I'm gonna take every single art class, like whatever type of art class I can take, I'm gonna do that instead. I'd rather go to art club than being a fucking on a sports team type thing. And I didn't know the fuck I was gonna do with it. Like I didn't just think I would do all shit with it. That's just what I like to do. And like, eventually, like coming towards the end of like high school and shit, I was like, all right, well. Am I realistically good enough to make any money off this? Probably fucking not. So what, how can I do it? Adjust this trajectory to do something more profitable with myself. So I've always had a, a big eye for design and things like that. So I was like, cool, I'm going to go to school for architecture. And that's really what, like, that's how I was trying to legitimize making money off art. I was like, how can I make it into a real profession? Right. That was when it all switched. Yeah, and just like I was like, what, what, where is like an actual field where people make money doing what they like to do? Because in my head, I was like, I know some other artists that are older than me and stuff, and it's a fucking struggle. And you know, it's not easy to a get your name, get yourself out there, make money off it, recognition, all this kind of things that have to like kind of all compartmentalize on themselves to then give you any kind of success which you can live off of right so it seemed for me the easier route would be to like get education in something more foundational like architecture as corny as that sounds like by saying no, but then, but. and then and then it transitioned into goldsmith um in there the natural influences of growing up on the east end of long island where we're from you know like super in tune with nature always happen and it's just like always been a big thing for me so i went into environmental design and i was like cool so i will be able i want to be able to make 
things that are either benefited from their natural surrounding or bettered by their, oh, I guess it's kind of the same thing, bettered by the natural environment around it. And, um, and that was, I just thought that was super fucking cool. That's a good mindset to have. Yeah. And then it served as a solid, like, you know, you know, jumping off point for stuff. But when it came down to it, you know, as an 18 year old kid, I was not that focused on my future. <laughs> right. Right. And one thing led to another and I was like, well, do I put myself in all of this debt or do I cut out and, you know, figure shit out beforehand? So I quickly, after about a year, I dropped out and uh, just started working. Went to community college at night, worked during the day, and that was it. And, you know, I didn't really think that art would be a really prevalent thing in my life anymore. So I didn't know what I wanted to do. And um, lo and behold, the community college I was going to, they had a really cool metalsmithing program. And I was like, the people that I was frequenting and the circles that I was in, there were some people that were making jewelry and, you know, getting into that whole scene and I was like that's fucking cool like that incorporates my my love for design with like also my love for nature by using all these natural crystals and like stuff like that you know like right. materials right. from the earth right and uh I was like fuck it I'm gonna start taking these metal smithing classes that's amazing I had no idea it came from a college uh class I had no college idea college dropout <laughs> So it came from a community college class that you decided to take on metalsmithing, and then here you are making pieces for celebrities and international people, and uh, you know, and you're just you're yeah, popping out amazing stuff. It's fucking it's weird because you know I was going just to night classes and delivering pizzas during the day, and once I found this metalsmithing course, I was like, I'm gonna log down all the all the tools, all everything that they got in the shop. And by the end of the semester, I had everything that they had in my basement. If I just put my tip money into shit and whatever, you know, like I wasn't selling jewelry to the public at that time, but I was messing around. Yeah, it ended up opening like my whole world for me. Such a trip. <laughs> it's, am it's amazing. And so, and so to come up now, like coming into it, you have a shop based out in Denver, Colorado. Correct. <laughs> so what uh, Nate has behind him there, Bunch of cool photographs. He's got a couple workbenches there, it looks like. Uh, a couple fancy computers. Um, a lot of the work originated by hand fabricating stuff and things like that. But over the years, we've started to um, implement a lot more of other design elements into things. So me and my buddy Graham, who I work with here, um, he's been showing me a lot of digital design stuff. So. We do a lot of 3D design and all kinds of different programs and stuff and utilize everything from 3D printing to all kinds of different casting approaches. So it's really, really expanded the possibilities for what we can do. And, and you guys run a shop there that people can come check out or is it mainly a workshop or you sell stuff out of the shop as well? Uh, no, we don't. It's, it's a private workshop. We don't. It's not really open to 
public or anything like that. We we both do majority of our or ninety nine percent of our business online. So we like to keep it separated. But you know, we do have clients come by and stuff like that, depending on the situation. But it's more so a closed studio and we both do things at a pretty small scale. So, you know, like we're working towards a larger operation, but as it is now and the workload that we both deal with as like a one man band type thing, this is what works for us. And it's just kind of how, where we're at. Everything that we do is such a custom project and it's so in tune with our clients that it makes it kind of tricky to know where to draw, draw the line and hand stuff off to other people, I guess. Right. When you're so involved with it and, and yourself, right? Exactly. So it's like when you're so entwined in it, just like personally, it makes it kind of tricky to bring someone else on because at the same time, you want it to sound super personal. And you want the person on the other side of the email or the phone or whatever the fuck it is to feel like they're still talking to you when they're not. <laughs> <laughs> so, what- so that's what we're trying to trying to figure out so what so what would you say with, with a lesson you've learned over over the years of doing of making uh jewelry now and kind of producing cool pieces for people and and uh creating and and taking people's custom work because it's hard to do custom work you know um what, what 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 would you take as a piece of advice for somebody that's trying to make jewelry or, or create something i mean for anybody like any any medium of artists, like it doesn't matter if you're making jewelry or painting or whatever, when you're dealing with a client, you're dealing with their own particular desires or, you know, like what they want to see at the end. And it's different. Like sometimes things are more sentimental, things are more freestyle. So it's really different from client to client, which is really interesting. And um, it really like it's hard to explain because each situation can be so different that you really just need to come to it with a really open perspective and just be able to listen so you can like interpret what they might want and the way that i like to do it myself is that i take in a broad idea of stuff and i give people like 15 different options that are you know directly in the vein of what they want a little bit to this side, a little bit to that side. And then they could be like, I like that. I hate this. I like this. I hate that. I like this. Put them all together. And hopefully it's something that they like. <laughs> right. And you create them something. Now, have you ever created something and somebody's been like, dude, what the fuck is that, dude? Yeah. It's fucking annoying as hell. Because <laughs> you put all this time into something and like you, you, you know, you take a lot of like, just going back and forth to customers takes a lot of more time than they think. And then you keep people in the loop, the whole fucking process through each step. And then at the end, you're like, all right, this is it. It's done. And then it's like, you know, it doesn't happen often, but it does happen sometimes where they're just like, well, that's not what I like envisioned. And you're like, uh, have we not been talking for the past six months? <laughs> the fuck are you talking about what do you <laughs> mean you don't like it's it it's like a tattoo artist it's like they do the tattoo and then they show it to you and he's like it's like dude i had the stencil on you and you saw it in the mirror and you looked at it and then you sat back down in the yeah. chair like mean? i showed you every single thing along the way because you know that level of clarity with the client goes a long way because you know it's 
it's when it comes down to it, it's for them, not for me. I'm the one making it, but they're the one that's going to be enjoying it for the rest of their life. So right. they need to be happy. 100%. And if you're not going to be clear with somebody the whole the whole way, then you can't be surprised when they don't like something at the end. But then at the same time, you can be clear with somebody the whole time, and they still will be bummed at the end when. Shit. So you're saying it can always it's it can always go both ways. So you got to make sure that you're prepared. You know. Yeah, you got to be prepared, and it's like everybody's different. You know, people will get finicky; they change their minds throughout the process, and it's not an overnight thing. Like most of these custom projects, like it's a you know three to six months to a year plus thing. Wow, I didn't realize the cycle you know? was that long. Yeah, so I mean, just to start off with, like when you're working with somebody else, a lot of it, uh, at least when I do collaborative work, it's not dictated, it's usually not commissioned or anything. So you can kind of just, you gotta just vibe with the person that you're working with and see what you guys are both feeling. So it can be really loose. And that's the best way to do it. Sometimes people come in pretty hard with like a certain idea and shit and can make things a little bit muddy. But for the most part, when, People are coming to you with, for custom work. They have a bit of a rough idea of what they want, kind of direction they want things to go. So you, I use those kind of ideas and that that level of input as foundation for the whole project. And then, like I just said before, it's like I'll give people 10, 15 rough ideas off the top of the head, trying to stay congruent to what they want. And then they just kind of, and then we kind of bounce things back and forth until they get to that happy, solid point where they're ready to go ahead with it. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I feel like in your business specifically, you're working with a lot of very expensive materials. So the, the, the room for error and the room, the margin for mistake, I'm sure is very slim. Yeah. So we'll, we work with a lot of really tight tolerances. Though, so that's why a lot of that beginning conversation makes a lot of impact on the final project. You know, like you have to really know what somebody wants before you start doing it and especially if it's going to cost all this money and materials and all this kind of stuff that's going to add up they have to be aware of what they're getting themselves into right because a lot of people a lot of times like people have this idea of what they want but in reality they don't know what it actually costs to make that or to have that happen and to manifest it so how do you manage expectations of people then when they want something kind of ridiculous that's out of their budget that they don't want to accept. I mean, I just like to give people a good, good, good open estimates on stuff, you know, like if it's pretty easy for someone to tell if they're out of their, if they're in too deep of water from the get go. They're, if they're like, I want this all gold thing, all this, all that. And I got a thousand bucks to spend right, from the, my next response is generally like, yeah, you know, like you're probably five times under what you want to be where you want to be at <laughs> so you give it to them straight and then there's no issues right i'm not trying to a end up undercutting myself by getting myself into a project where the person's not trying to spend the money or they're not like in a good financial place themselves to spend the money sometimes people will be like all right let's do it let's spend fucking five ten grand on this thing and then you're like all right well can you actually afford to do that like are you gonna pay me a couple hundred bucks a month for the next whoever fucking knows how long I'm gonna do that. <laughs> right. You need the money. <laughs> right. It's it, it, yeah. I could only imagine the process of dealing with all that. And now to segue into the actual process. 
So when you're sitting down, is it like, are you sketching at first? Are you drawing? Are you whipping out colored pencil? Like, how, What's your whole design process? How do you kind of flow from start to finish in, in designing and building something? Whether it be grill, a, a set of custom grills or a necklace or a pendant or a, whatever you, you know, are designing. Yeah, so I mean, regardless of what the end product is, everything starts with just sketching. Sketching and putting putting stuff on paper, whether it's, you know, sketch pad and pencil or I use my iPad a lot also. Nice to be able to use the technology at hand to really kind of expedite the process on things. I'm a big fan of that, whereas, you know, some people like to do it old school, and that's cool, too. It's like you can get to the same end result by a lot of different means. Now, when you say iPad, do you use some kind of program? Is it some kind of drawing method? What is it on there? Yeah, so for on my iPad, I use a program called Procreate. There's a couple other different ones that you can use too. I know Adobe has a Sketchpad program that's also really versatile and stuff. And uh, and it's just wild. It's like some of these programs are, they have so much potential. You can do so much with them. And it's like five or 10, 20 bucks to get it. And that's it. And then you can just, for me, it's easy to throw my iPad in a backpack, my little fucking stylus, pull it out wherever. But same thing goes for it. Sketchpad and pencil too. Just on what your preference. You go new school, and that's cool. Yeah. And so you then you use those designs to create, you know, your pieces in the actual in your actual studio. Yeah. So once you can put something down, you can people can get like once people can get a little bit of a visualization of what you have in mind. It everyone thinks of things a little bit differently. So it's like you might show five people the same picture, and they all picture in their head a little bit different. Right. So. It's a lot of a back and forth kind of balance to find out what each person wants and what they like. But from there, it really depends on the project. Like sometimes now I'll do stuff digitally, like with this computer behind me, I can start laying stuff out in 3D, get a, get a solid layout done, print out mock-ups and have like a physical thing in hand to show somebody. Whereas you can also do it all straight hand fabricated in metal. Or you can also hand carve it in different types of wax, which you could then cast into precious metal. So there's a lot of different processes that can take you there. And is there a specific way that you generally like to lead? Or is it kind of when the customer brings an idea or the client brings an idea, um, you kind of find out what the best choice is for them in terms of what metals they should use? Or do they come to you with, you know, I want this color or I want this kind of stone or... Depends on the client a lot of the times. Like some people, they know exactly what they want. They have like reference pictures on deck. They're ready to go. They're like, this is that another thing. Cool, let's go. And that's that's good and all. But at the same time, a lot of people come into it and like they've either never bought a piece of high-end jewelry before. They don't know what they want. Or they're unsure of what they want. And that's also what we're I'm here to help them figure out. So it, it really goes a lot of different ways, but depending on the project, the client, and the budget, it's kind of what I internally dictate as like how it can be approached. Right. And have you ever you ever created some pieces? I mean, I'm sure you have of, you know, somebody just comes to you with an idea and says, this is a very sentimental thing that I have. And, you know, I like these kind of things, you know, can you create me a piece, you know? That's a really special, that takes a really kind of special creative person to kind of craft that together and bring that to life. It's always, it's always different. Like it's sometimes people have heirloom stones, heirloom jewelry. 
jewelry. I've like encased ashes of people's loved ones and things. Like you never know what someone's bringing to the table. Like they could. I don't know. At this point, I've been asked so many crazy fucking things that I'm not surprised. But then it just a lot of it turns into like a problem solving approach. It's like, what, how, how am I, I going to make this? this? Yeah, how am I going to make this into a piece of jewelry for this person? Or like, how am I going to make this and also still like give praise to the you know the loved one or like whatever that they're trying to embody in it without knowing them? Like, what's the coolest thing? What's the coolest thing that you've kind of made that you've really felt like, wow, I, I crushed this. This was incredible. Do you feel like that about every single piece or do you feel like you have like some shine pieces that are like, wow, that I remember that one like that. That's I'm going to remember that one for the rest of my life. Like that's I remember a lot of the pieces that I made and I really love a lot of them. But at the same time, like I have this weird internal struggle of like I'm always trying to do something better the next time. I'm never trying to be complacent or like just like settle with something else that I've done. I'm always like for this, like I'm always trying to one up myself. And when you're working just with yourself all the time, it's like a weird level of like internalized competition. Right. No, that's amazing. (laughs) Just like super strange, I guess. I don't know if that makes sense to people, but I think that goes, I think that translates between any type of medium as far as whatever you're creating, if you're a musician or a painter or whatever the fuck, or like you're in construction or whatever you're doing, like you're always trying to do something that's cooler than the last thing you did. Right. You're always trying and, to do um, And yeah, and it's like, I'm not something I don't really adore a lot of the pieces that I did make and that I have made and I continue to make, but I'm always trying to do something better the next time. So there's never like one specific thing where you're like, damn, that's my favorite piece. You're just like, I know that's, that was a great piece that I made. And now I'm trying to move to the next one. I mean, there, there's a few pieces like that, that stand out, but it's like, it's a, it's hard to pinpoint and B like, I don't like to single, single things out when it, I do a lot of custom work just because it's like every piece is really important and I'm really, um, grateful for each thing I get to make for each one of my clients. So it's really a tricky, it's really interesting. It's just like every, from one project to to the next, it's just so different. That's interesting. Yeah. That, that's an interesting way to, to go about it and look at it. You know, every piece is custom. So there really is not a favorite or a a best or this because it is truly custom. You know, that's, that's the beauty of it being custom. It's one of a kind. Yeah, and I think, like, if, if, yeah, if I was, like, reflect on, like, favorite pieces and stuff, they'd be, like, pieces of mine that I make in my free time in between when I'm just trying to, like, exercise some ideas and just, like, get some, just get, get some backed up, backed up stuff out there. Cause doing custom work and balancing it with the, the freestyle kind of stuff in between can always be a little tricky, too. And then how did you get involved uh, with the people that you work with? You know, I, I see you collaborating with a lot of different um, goldsmiths and metalsmiths and, and people, you know, is that networking through events? Is that is that a just kind of a social media connection? How did you bridge this connection with all these different guys to collaborate? Because I feel like a lot of beautiful pieces I've seen um, you collaborate as well. Yeah, so it's like... Um pretty interesting like i mean a lot of it is super rooted in social media and you know my first exposure to a lot of this 
jewelry and stuff that I like in the circles that my stuff frequents and and stuff was just through the beginning stages of Facebook and Instagram and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, like I said, my topical level of education and all this stuff is just community college. They don't really teach you much in those classes. So like when I was trying to expand upon shit and learn more, I was just DMing people, hitting people up and just being like, yo, like I see that you live not that far from me. Like, can I like, can you show me some shit? Like, can we do this? Can we do that? And just trying to be friendly enough that people are like, cool, I'll come show you some couple things or come by and show, I'll show you a couple things. And that's what really like helped me excel a lot. Which is kind of going out there and networking and putting yourself out there and talking to people. Now, what was the transition yeah, like trying- from, from like East Coast, West Coast? Like what, you know, because obviously you're an East Coaster like me uh, who also moved West. But what was it? What was that transition like? And Well, it's a lot of, it's a lot of trial and error. And you kind of got to be like, got to not be a dick. Like if someone says no and you're asking them for free knowledge, okay, that's all right. No is a fine answer. If I'm asking a stranger out of the blue to teach me something and they say no and I'm not offering them any money to teach me, okay, cool. I'm going to ask somebody else and then maybe try and put together a couple hundred bucks to ask next person. Keep keep on hustling. It's just really about just trying to put yourself out there and it's, I don't know, it's definitely a lot different between East and West Coast, but being in Colorado, you're kind of in the middle. Honestly, I never, I didn't run into too many people that were dicks. I don't know if it's because I was nice or because they're just nice people, but the way I approach things, most people open their doors to me and they were super receptive. You know, that they're happy to show people the skills and the stuff that it takes to do certain things. And I think that's also something that has changed a lot in many um, artistic mediums over the past, like, you know, a few decades. Cause a lot of times, like back in the day, like people would be like, okay, you want to learn? You need to come and apprentice for me for X amount of time and do all this other shit. And then I'll start to teach you. We don't and have time for not that. Really how yeah, shit. Nobody has time for that anymore. We don't have that. Yeah. This is an I mean, People trail. should have time. They should have time. Like it, any, any, any level of craft is like an insane amount of patience. Cause it's like, I, I always think of this like lame ass fucking analogy of like, the matrix and you can just get like when you just gets plugged in he's like i need to know how to fly this fucking chopper in reality you're not just gonna wake up good at something you gotta put in a lot of fucking time and effort to figure it out and that's the only way you're gonna get good by doing it over and over again and like as i'm sure you know with all the photography and all the kind of stuff that you do like it's a lot of ins and outs and little nuances that you can't just pick that up out of nowhere yeah yeah, I, I would say it just takes that time. It, like you said, it, it takes time. And the difference between East Coast, West Coast, too, is kind of like the hustle mentality that you bring, right? So I feel like when when you go over there, you feel like you're in a hustle mode, you know, because it's, it's a little more laid back there. So you're like, okay, I, I'm from New York. I kind of got this, you know, little aggressive vibe. Like, I'm coming in hot. Like, what pieces are we doing? Let's collab. Let's make. Let's... 
let's create. And people are kind of yeah. like, who's this kid? And then all of a sudden you're now in the jewelry scene there. And now you're on the, the gold <laughs> scene and you're making waves and people are like, who's this guy from New York? Who's this guy from New York from Long Island, baby? So Where is he? So getting out of Long Island without an accent is fucking amazing. How was That's how easy is that, right? Where we're from, we're lucky. Know, bro, it drops off. Fucking once you get past the canal, you're fucking gold. So it's kind of funny, guys. It's basically the rule of thumb here: the further out east you live, the accent drops off more. So, but then obviously, weird picks up in Montauk. It picks back up once you get to Montauk. It's like a weird, like a whoop, <laughs> and then. <laughs> But then once you go back west, the further you go west, the thicker the accent gets. So by the time you hit Queens, you're pretty much you're pretty much talking like yeah, this, yeah, and you're going down the Queens, street here, and you're, you're doing all that and this and whatever. You get the patch August Ayase, you're fucking talking the same fucking way, and you're fucking sounding crazy. <laughs> sounding crazy. <laughs> so what he's referencing is that you know you kind of drop off. You don't really. And now that you've lived out in Colorado for so long, you lose your home root accents anyway. I think anybody that moves away to a different place for years and yeah. years, you eventually hang out with enough yeah, people that you I mean, lose it. Falls off a little bit. There's some things that like still stick and all that kind of shit, but it's like for the most part, like you said, it's like I didn't have like a thick fucking New York accent to begin with. Like to me, I don't sound any different than when I was a fucking kid. Certain people, they're like, "What the fuck did you just say?" <laughs> Welcome to New York. Welcome to Denver. Welcome you, to Long Island. How did you start making the the waves in the the jewelry scene there? Just by the connections you were making, and you just decided, you know, hey, we're, I'm going for this, and you know, started collabing, and then now people know you, and and they know your work, and now you're hanging out there. Do well, you have like a, a group of, of friends stuff. that are mostly into what you do, and that's what makes it easier? Yeah, a lot of buddies that frequent the same type of stuff, but a lot of it all, um, excuse me, it jump started through the music scene. Like I got into it by um, going to really, you got into shows. music, like yeah. So in the music scene, by just like going to concerts, going to that stuff, and seeing people on lot just like selling jewelry and all kinds of other shit and whatever that came along with it kind of for it for a and all that kind of shit was by i did a lot of music promotion for the first like six years i lived here it opened my eyes to a lot of the potential and all that kind of shit that comes along with it but yeah like most of my friends that helped me get a, a jump start in all this jewelry stuff it started as like a whole hustle mentality i guess and it slowly matured into a more serious thing so you you when when you did some cool things for uh you know a couple different artists and such you know how, how does how do those approach uh, you know those moments come about is it something and just friends had a good opportunity and you know things come about where you well, can so do something for of, somebody creative yeah like I've had a, a couple cool opportunities to make things for people directly you know artists and things like that and all kinds of different veins um, but the most like you know, the bigger things that I've been able to be a part of, like my buddy Ryan, who runs the Crown Collection, like he started doing some more beautiful work, absolutely up, beautiful upscale, work, upscale up, up marketing and stuff, you know, and he was always a good uh, front man for us because he was able to handle the business side of things while getting our art on a lot of badass people. So it's like, that's how I ended up getting the situations where like Diplo and Billie Eilish and people like that were wearing 
trips you out. Mind, mind boggling. Still trips you out. Yeah. I, I don't even think about it most of the time. But then when I like bring it back up in my head, I'm like, damn, that's fucking nuts. Like, so nuts. But it's through like uh, being able to network with other people and maintain good friendships and stuff. It um, really allows you to grow together and it opens a lot of doors for people on both sides. So Yeah. Yeah, and, and what they do over at the Crown Collection, so you can go on Instagram there, guys, and go at uh, the Crown Collection. Yeah. And uh, there's an amazing Instagram there, and they have incredible pieces from all different, uh, you know, artists, and, and and it's just, it's awesome. Just beautiful work. Yeah. All kinds of cool, super one-of-a-kind stuff, and um, yeah, through working with, like, you know, there was already a network of talented artists in the scene, in this little bubble already. And Ryan really helped to kind of catalyze it and take it to a different level, which is super dope. And it, you know, it helps a lot of people out along the way, but yeah. And, and, and your Instagram, just so we can plug that for the people is at freed F R E E D underscore mind underscore fabrications. That's the Instagram. Uh, yeah. That's the only Factory Instagram. Fabrications, baby. No imposters, no fakers. Yeah. He's the real yeah, deal. It's crazy. Like I, I've been doing some. I did some giveaways over the past few months and started getting all these fucking crazy fake accounts popping up, trying to hack people's information and shit. So it's, it's honestly the way that Instagram Scummy. has shifted over the Scummy. past five years to like just. Yeah, all the bots and all the bullshit. Yeah, it's fucking insane. But that's why I like to do stuff like this and to just like personally be able to connect with people and put a face to the name a little bit because it's something I kind of strove away from a lot in the beginning. I just not a big, I don't promote my image that much. I just rather my my jewelry speak for myself. But hey, you need to you need to match the face, but you know behind, you know you can't be the uh, the Wizard of Oz. You know you can't be the guy behind the curtain. You gotta. We gotta make sure we know. Yeah, but sometimes are. sometimes it's so nice to be somewhere and someone starts talking <laughs> about your shit and you're actually talking to them and you're like, Oh yeah, that's pretty cool. Like <laughs> and I'll be like, Because oh, you yeah, never I post any that. photos of yourself on your Instagrams or anything, right? Yeah, I'm like my like Nathaniel Fife isn't tied you know, it's on my profile and shit, but like most people see it, they just see the hash the the at, you know. The jewelry, right. Yeah. yeah well like, actually funny story about that. So there was a funny story. When I first moved to California, there was a kid named Nick Taylor. Uh, and at one point, this kid was actually like Thomas Jacks, like one, one of his tour managers or something, or I don't know. But yeah. he used to collect, uh, you know, pieces and one of a kind of things. And I, and I came, and crystals and all this. And I came from uh, New York wearing your, one, one of the first pieces, <laughs> I get like one of the OG pieces, I guess, that yeah. you ever put out there. And, uh, I have One it on my neck. I sold for <laughs> under five hundred bucks. Yeah. <laughs> I have the OG. <laughs> OG. It's gonna be worth bajillions one day. I'll never sell it. Fuck. I mean, I'll never sell it. Who knows? No, I'll never sell it. Uh, but one, one can dream. But so I, I, I uh, come in wearing your piece, and we talk about it, and he's like, "Free mind fabrications," and he looks at me, he's like, "Dude, their Instagram is so sick. I love all their." I love, dude, I love that guy, man. 
I just start cracking up because I'm like, this is years, a couple years after you made the piece, you know, and this is after you've already kind of made way crazier stuff, you know, even though I love the piece you made me, it's original and and raw. It's so raw. It's raw, dude. That's what I love. It's raw. It's, it's the perfect. It's cool how people can connect those dots and stuff, you know, but it's just wild that that's even there, even in California, even in a random moment, I met the roommate off Craigslist for Christ's sake. Like, I don't even know, you know, the connection was completely (laughs) random. There's no points of connection between us, no social media, nothing. I'm so grateful for the, you know, advancement of social media because it just has connected me with so many people in the first place, just like clients and artists alike. And without, you know, you know, I, I run my business through a website and stuff too, but like, I'm not the most outward type of person. So I'm not like really good at out promoting myself and that kind of stuff. And it's like, it's one thing when you're promoting a business, but when the business is just me, that's, you're all just, just promoting yourself. That's and self-promotion. You gotta fucking, be, you know, Ringling I'm Brothers Circus. Super bad. I'm super bad at it. That's why I like to have the veil of social media. For some reason, it makes it easier for me. Well, you like and, you said, it lets your work do the talking. It lets your pieces speak for themselves. When you have the medium to just showcase a video of your piece, like I'll never forget what 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 video I sh- always used to show people when I was like, "Oh, this is my boy. He does these incredible pieces." I would show them certain pieces that you made, and I just, you know, like just the videos that you would put up, like some of the things that would spin and interact and open, and like all these little things. I mean, it was such a good yeah. tool, you know. Yeah, and it's nice. It's like, so like you know, it's like most people that follow stuff on the internet, whether it's my shit or whoever else's fucking shit, like, you don't get to see it in person most of the time. Unless you're able to come to a gallery show or, you know, you know any of those type of things, which I love to be able to do. Showcasing stuff in person is amazing. But most of the time, you got to realize that those people aren't gonna able aren't able to do that. You got fucking X amount of people following you. Such a small fraction of those people are either going to A, be able to be in that place at that one time you're having a show or be able to travel there or any of those other things. So being able to show people videos and process photos and stuff like that that goes behind the scenes and kind of gives people a little bit of an idea of how things are manifested, I think goes a long way people in a little bit more absolutely i would say that's marketing and and that's the way you're networking yourself you know online to your clients you're you're showing them wow these are the types of pieces i can make and that's exactly what draws people in because i can tell you that's what draws me in as a fan as as somebody that has one of your pieces who got lucky enough to get it early but (laughs) yeah you know uh i think you know down the line i'm just so pumped for what you're gonna create and and the business that you've made and you know, the, the artists that, that you work with and, and the people that you collaborate with. It's just, you know, man, it's so great to watch friends, you know, and, and creative people you grew up with to, you know, crush crush their element and, and to really shine. And, and I think that's that's you, man. I think I think you just bring it yeah. to a different level and, and your creativeness and, and uh, what you're doing. And, like, yeah, as much as I like to do, you know, create my own things and all that stuff, like, honestly, like, I love working with other people and, like, being able to sit down with a like-minded designer or artist, like like I keep saying, like regardless of the media, like I like to work with a bunch of my friends who are painters and all this other kind of shit. Like 
I just recently started to learn how to do large scale sculpture. Like it's an endless thing. And maybe it's because I started by painting and drawing a lot more so than just like, I didn't just start by making jewelry. Right. I love the, I love working with other people and like, yeah, sometimes you realize that you can't work with somebody else because you don't click. But sometimes you sit down, whether, you know, it doesn't even have to be another jewelry designer. They could be doing anything else as long as it's a design base, I guess. But you can make some fucking cool stuff. Right. Really it doesn't matter who it is in creating. Better. Well, that's the beauty of being a creative person, right? Like me as a photographer, I'm not limited to learning from other creatives you know maybe one of your pieces inspires me to do some kind of crazy shoot you know or a photo shoot or or some video thing i can now bring in an element of because somebody's piece or work inspired you know it's all creative it's all 100 and that's yeah and and that's how you have to think about it now moving forward to the future what's what's the overall goal of freedmind fabrications where do where does the future take nate nate fife where where do we go from here where's the the Mecca, where's the promise? Uh, by saying that there's a promised land would mean that there's a plateau. And for me, I just want to continually keep doing new shit. So whether, I don't know, that necessarily means like it's going up or down or whatever. I don't know if that's dictated whether people like it or not, but I just want to continue to keep doing new shit and, and acting on the ideas in my own imagination. Like it's always a constantly shifting thing and the more art that I observe around me and take in, it's always shifting the trajectory of where I want my own art to go. So it's never ending. And where I'm at, yeah, it's a never ending thing. And it's like, I think it's a never that's really ending fucking story. dope. So you never know, you know, Falcor is going to come out of the clouds and fucking carry me away. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> but at the same time, like, you know, like if my main objective right now is to get a lot of jewelry done in the rest of the year, and then I would like to focus the beginning of, uh, 2022 on some larger scale sculpture stuff and um yeah i mean as far as that it's, that's I the goal larger scale sculpture a lot of the time i can't wait to see it yeah yeah larger scale sculpture you're gonna be the, the next uh make, richard jewelry. i doubt it but maybe <laughs> I f- fuck that around i might that, fuck around and find out <laughs> that fool i mean bro i used to all right so just take it way back all of a sudden when I used to work for my dad cleaning pools and shit back in the day, bro, some of these people's estates that we would clean pools on, they had legitimate Richard Sarah fucking installations. Like there's this one house in Watermill that had a whole Richard Sarah fucking wall installed in the front yard. <laughs> it was probably really cheap. Yeah. Yeah, definitely not like hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars. I mean, fucking hell. Oh my God. But like, it's something that I didn't like appreciate until after the fact. And I saw a lot of his work and I was like, yo, I used to fucking work on that property. That, <laughs> That's crazy. the sculpture. Oh man. And there's even like, yo, this, this, um, contemporary artist dude that I follow, Daniel Arsham, he's reposted this guy, Norman Jaffe is like a badass architect. And, He's got this house in Southampton that they're trying to, like, the owner of the property is trying to rip it down so they can build something new there. And this guy is, like, one of the most amazing contemporary architects. There's a petition that people, honestly, I'm going to use this as a a blast. You should go and sign it. Oh, let's go. Petition. Let's sign it. What do we got? Southampton. Throw it up. Fuck Southampton. 
walked in town ripping this house down. But yeah, like they, it should. That's a historic piece of architectural history that they need to leave there. And the dude that owns the property right now is trying to rip it down to build something new there. But oh. we used, I used to clean the pool on the property. What's the back uh, in the day? What's the uh, what's the address? I don't know the address off the top of my head. Somewhere in Southampton. Just look it up. I guess I guess any of the info. Up. Link to the petition it's is some, going to be in the bio some, uh, of the bullshit. highly educated podcast Instagram page. So look out for that. I'm going to take the last little bit here to go into the fact that the East End townships, Southampton, East Hampton, everything, they need to do everything they can to preserve the artistic heritage of that fucking area and not just try and whitewash it with new shit because it's fucking whack. It's <laughs> it's so it is, wild. It, it, it's it's so insane how they rather get money from all these fucking out of towners and all this other shit. And you're gonna that's all of that is the foundation is what which made the area which we're from so special. And then they're gonna and that's why it, it drew in so many amazing designers, architects, photographers, painters, and all that shit. And they're trying to fucking just get rid of it all because they can make more money off of it. That's Sickening. It's bullshit. That's when you bullshit. gotta put your foot down. So the petition will be in the bio. Fuck yeah. To save a nice historic piece of architecture. I guess yeah, we'll, hey. we'll, we'll end it on here. I just want to ask you a quick question. What is your favorite material to work with? What is your favorite precious metal? Gold, baby. I love it. Gold. Gold. He loves gold. My man loves gold. gold. It's like a, it's a timeless material to work with. It can be manipulated into so many different forms and applications that can really work for like anybody. So I'm a big fan of it. Are you but more hyped? Are you are you more hyped when the price of gold goes down and you can make it for cheaper, or when the price goes up and you can sell it for more? I'm not really too. I mean, it, it's all it all it's all kind of flows with the market. Market price like a lobster roll. You're paying it. Yeah, exactly. You're paying it no matter what. I'm paying it, then if you're buying it from me, you're paying it too, so. Right, it's like gas. <laughs> Whatever the price is at the time, you're paying it. Yeah, exactly. You're paying it times X amount, and that's just it. Like, there's no, I mean, yeah, that's pretty much it. Do your estimates last for <laughs> 30 days because the price of gold could change? That's why I have, I have flexible estimates. It's all based upon market price once the project finally starts. There you go. Love it. Well, exactly. I'm really uh, excited to uh, you know see what you break into in the large sculpture game, and uh, super stoked that I had you on here to talk about your gift and your craft and Fuck what yeah. you're doing and Freedmind Fabrications, baby. It's a it's a jewelry shop. It's a goldsmith house. It's a whatever you want it to yeah. be. It can be whatever you want. And uh, my man yeah. Nate will hook you up. Get hook him up with you know hit him up with the custom gear custom pieces, you want grills, you want pendants, you want chains, you want rings. Whatever you need, we you want, got it, baby. Dude, think of something. You want a giant, <laughs> like, life-sized walrus dipped in gold with crazy diamond eyes and, like, walrus tusks that are all, like, covered and embezzled in diamonds. Bro, my Done. man's got you. My man has you. So we do it all. You heard that, celebrity figures? Do you hit my man up all, for baby. some jewelry because he's he's the man. He's the best. <laughs> Nate, thanks We're so much for coming in, on, baby. man, and and, uh, and I appreciate you. Love you, man. Yeah, always, baby. Thanks for having me. We would like to dedicate this episode to our dear friend Stephen Bucket. <laughs>